Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. We wrap today's program with this all-important conversation. Child poverty in America has more than doubled just one year after hitting a record low. Let me say that one more again. Child poverty in this nation, the richest nation in the history of the world, has more than doubled just one year after hitting a record low. How is that possible? The head of the Children's Defense Fund, the Reverend Dr. Starsky Wilson, joins us right now to explain it. Uh, Dr. Wilson, good to have you on again in this program, sir. How are you? Doing very well. Glad to be with you, Tavis. Thank you for having us on. Man, Thanks for covering this. Man, my great delight. Always, always important, uh, and uh, always important to me, at least, to have you on and to have these conversations that uh, that I never ever want to lose sight of. I believe that uh, any nation uh, that ignores and abandon, uh, abandons uh, its children uh, is a nation that is in uh, is in some trouble. So let me let me just start with what I laid out a moment ago. Child poverty in this country has more than doubled uh, just a year after hitting a record low. My, 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 my question was then and now, how is that possible? Yeah, that's possible because uh, we, after 30 years worth of decline by expanding the social safety net, uh, we had a historic expansion of the child tax credit in 2021. Uh, that way we were able to cut child poverty in half in just that year. So we had, because of the pandemic, both the available resources and the moral courage to do what many English-speaking industrialized nations have done, which is just to invest in children to help parents meet their needs. Unfortunately, after proving at population level that we could actually cut child poverty in half, we didn't curate the public will and the moral courage to extend it. So those child tax credits that were coming on a monthly basis uh, to help parents when the grocery bills hit, uh, actually lapsed at the end of 2021. And so what we saw is that in 2022, when we look at the supplemental poverty measure, child poverty went from 5.2% in America to over 12.4% uh, for that same poverty rate. And so, uh, so this is really not about whether we know what to do. It's about whether we have the courage, the power, and the moral capacity to do it. You mentioned public will and moral courage. I understand that it takes a public will to fight for things they believe in and to extend programs that would keep children out of poverty. So the public will part, I can debate you on that, but I get it. My question is why it requires moral courage to do the right thing by our babies. Why, why does that require moral courage? Well, it requires moral courage because the landscape has changed. Unfortunately, uh, we are not dealing with, I say this a lot, we're not dealing with legitimate political actors. Mm. Legitimate political actors uh, understand their futures to be tied up in the care for their constituents. Uh, and that's not what we currently find in Congress. Uh, even in the most recent debate around the continuing resolution, we don't see uh, the supplemental supports for child care there. Uh, we don't see the... Um, a consideration of what's going to happen for uh, federal workers uh, who have kicked the can past the holidays, perhaps, when we get this passed through the Senate, mm-hmm. uh, but we don't see a long-term commitment to taking care of them. And so political courage has to do with the fact that we've got to actually take care of the people who sent us there and not, you know, look out over our shoulder for mm-hmm. getting primaried. One of my one of my favorite books, um, uh, and I have many, of course, but one of them uh, on my shelf for years now, for decades, in fact, now is a book that was written by the late great mayor of New York, Mario Cuomo, uh, called Reason to Believe. And in this book, he makes the argument 
about what the proper role of government ought to be. And I find myself going back to read that book time every now and again, um, Reverend Wilson, because I, we, we find ourselves, as you mentioned a moment ago, in a frame right now, a political frame where we have people in Washington who have a very fundamentally different view than you or I have about what the proper role of government is. Now, I'm not afraid of that conversation. I'm prepared to have that dialogue about what the proper role of government ought to be. But the proper role of government cannot be to ignore and to abandon children. And so to your reference of the, the debate about the continued resolution, um, um, I want to come back to that because you're, you're right that we have people who see um, government very differently uh, than you or I uh, see it. And I'm wondering how we ever put children at the top of the agenda if we're having this kind of debate about what government ought to and ought not to do. I mean, these Republicans were, are, are mad at, many of them are mad at uh, Mike Johnson, the speaker, because there weren't more cuts. I mean, there were no cuts, in fact. They want cuts, 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 cuts. And so, again, they don't see the role of government in the way that you or I see it. And I don't know how we, again, get children at the top of the agenda if we can't agree on some basic fundamentals about what government is responsible for doing, like taking care of its children. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, so it takes us to a place where uh, we have to think not just about policy, but about the politics of the matter. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think some of this is we've got to be able to complement our rational research and data-based arguments uh, with the capacity to wield political power and or influence, um, which also which means rewarding friends and creating consequences for enemies mm -hmm. uh, of our children. Um, so part of it is, you know, people can put children at the bottom of the ladder because they know they don't have a vote, they don't have a voice, they don't have a lobby, unless we're willing to use ours as a placeholder, as a placeholder for theirs. Mm. So I think this is where uh, we've got to, you know, not unilaterally disarm, but understand that as we have all of our political homes, those political homes have to have uh, political planks and conversations about children's issues, whether your political home is your church, mm -hmm. synagogue, or mosque, or whether your political home is NAACP, the Urban League, uh, or the Children's Defense Fund. Uh, we've got to have as much of a um, political debate as we have a policy debate. Uh, around these kinds of things. Yep, um, you and I will never have a conversation, and, and I know you don't disagree with me on this at all. Will we not? Uh, we will. We will uh, uh, not mention the name of Marion Wright Edelman. Uh, I, I love her. Love her dearly, as 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 do you. Uh, have, yeah. uh, I just uh, feel honored that in my life I got to know her and, uh, and broke bread with her many times and hung out with her and interviewed her and considered her a friend. And so here you are continuing her work at the Children's Defense Fund as president and CEO. Uh, and I can hear her in the back of my head right now ask, can you, uh, with an answer to this particular question, but I want to hear your take on it because you're the guy running it these days. Um, when you are fighting every day for this nation's children, and you're getting the kind of response that you're getting, and we see child poverty doubling um, just a year after it, it, uh, we experienced record lows, and essentially you're being told we ain't got enough money for that. But you see them cutting checks every other week for Israel and Ukraine. I don't mean to make you political, but you see where I'm going. When you see them yeah. cutting checks every other week for that, but they ain't got money for our children, how, how, do you, how, how do you sustain your hope? How do you get up every day and do what you do fighting for these children? Yeah, the reality is I got children in my own home uh, who uh, who encourage me, who enliven me, who energize me for this work every day. And so when I do it, uh, I know that I'm working for Amber, my 8-year-old in my house, and I'm working for Mason, my 13-year-old. And I, and I recognize that anything we do uh, today, ultimately they're going to either redound the benefit of or they will uh, have to 
wrestle through the challenges of. And so uh, I keep hoping those ways uh, by looking at their faces, thinking about Amber singing and dancing, the world mm-hmm. I want to create is one where she's safe enough, seen enough, secure enough to sing and dance like nobody's watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even if they are, to put on a really nice show. <laughs> uh, so so that's, that's my energy for the work. And, of course, I'm sustained in my faith. Uh, there's really nothing we do uh, in this social sector. There's nothing we do as nonprofit advocates um, that isn't somehow grounded in a faith in the fact that things can be different, mm-hmm. right? So whether that's explicit or implicit, whether that's Christian, Muslim, Hindu, or Sikh, uh, whether that's you know not a form of straight religious belief in a strict sense, it is a sense of faith that things can change. And so I can I just continue to kind of stand in that faith as well. Yeah. The things can be different. There are powers greater than the ones that I see that, you know, even as I lift up my eyes into the hills, I'm not looking to Capitol Hill, mm-hmm. uh, but rather there's a light on the other side that shines over that dome. Uh, and so we continue to work toward a vision that we believe God desires for for God's children. Yeah, I just wish they'd stop. Just stop the line. Just tell the. And my thing is, just tell the people the truth. If children are not a priority, then just say the babies ain't our priority right now. Um, but you can't tell me that you, you're cutting that you're finding money for Ukraine, you're finding money for Israel, you're finding money for everything else. But we don't have money to keep these babies out of poverty. I digress for now. We'll continue when we come forward with the president and CEO of the Children's Defense Fund, the Reverend Dr. Starsky Wilson, right now on Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. Yeah, speaking of getting at the truth, that's that's my point. If the children are not a priority, then somebody just ought to stop lying and just say that and just tell us what, what the priorities are. Um, Dr. King once famously said, actually more than once, that uh, budgets are moral documents. Budgets yes. are moral documents. You can say what you say, but you are who you are. When I see your budget, I know exactly what your priorities are. So I'm just all for, you know, just a, a, for a cessation of the lying to American people, which leads me to ask this question. This is a bit philosophical, but this is right in your right in your wheelhouse. Um, and I, I want you to take it any way you want to take it. How what would you say and how would you respond to a question about this, trying to find the right word here, Reverend Wilson, this dichotomy, for lack of a better word, that exists between what we say in this country and what we do. And that certainly is a question I think relevant to our dialogue now about uh, about not making our babies a priority. But just talk to me broadly, philosophically, spiritually, anywhere you want to talk to me about this dichotomy between what we say as American people about what matters to us, about what we prioritize, and what we actually do. Yeah, I think there are a couple of things. Number one, I think there are just certain myths uh, that we've accepted uh, that we continue to kind of purvey that create challenges for us to get into certain priorities. Uh, number one, the myth of rugged individualism. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Number two, the myth uh, of deservedness. Uh, we we believe because uh, because we think we made ourselves and because we think we are. Uh, kind of self-made in one regard, we believe that you only get access to certain things, health, wealth, well-being, if you have earned them. Uh, and so certain people haven't earned it, um, we would argue. Um, and so even though we have frames that say these things are not true, we know your health is not related to how much you walk, but whether your neighborhood is walkable. Your health is not directly connected to uh, everything you eat, but also the things you have access to purchase to eat, that there are environmental and social conditions that we construct to impact these things. It's not just about whether you deserve or earn it. It's rather about 
uh, uh, ways in which we construct society. So I think some of this has to do with these myths about individualism, these myths about uh, 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 deservingness. And so we can't get at having a true conversation because we believe in lies mm -hmm. uh, about a broader context. The other thing, Chavis, frankly, there are people who are maybe more uh, integrous and consistent than what you say. Um, what do I mean by this? Well, frankly, they don't even talk about children. Mm -hmm. People don't even try to tell the lie anymore mm -hmm. that children are a priority. Mm -hmm. We just don't talk about them. We don't have a public debate about investing in schools. We don't uh, have a true conversation about making sure children are well. And so increasingly, you just don't have that dialogue. Uh, we had in uh, 2017, very quietly, the Government Accountability Office called for the Office of Management and Budget to define child well-being as a cross-agency priority to impact all governmental planning. Now, people who pay attention to history say, well, it's 2017. Mm -hmm. The federal government wasn't going to do that in that particular administration, but it hadn't done it in this administration either. Uh, made it a cross-agency priority. Mm -hmm. uh, we're pleased that there's some initial efforts. We spent the better part of late last year, early this year, working with our partners at first for focus on children, to press the administration to set up an interagency council on children, which is meeting literally for the very first time right now. Mm. So we've got a team there right now. But we're late to the conversation, and it's not just a health and human services conversation. Yeah. It's a cross-governmental conversation. It's everything that we do uh, should be looked at through that lens. Mm. And so we've got to press to actually dialogue about children and say they're a priority again because yeah. increasingly I'm finding that people aren't even saying that. The data tell us that uh, the child poverty in this country has more than doubled just one year after hitting a record low. In case you've just tuned in, our guest is the president CEO of the Children's Defense Fund, Reverend Dr. Starsky Wilson. So that's the data that uh, the child poverty uh, rate in this country has more than doubled just a year after hitting a record low. We will close with this as the exit question. So what do we do about it? We'll put that question to our guest when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Some people. Smart talk for curious people just like you. Just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. 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 Tavis Smiley and the Reverend Dr. Starsky Wilson, President and CEO of the Children's Defense Fund. Um, all right, Reverend Wilson. Uh, the data is incontrovertible. The question is, uh, in the last few minutes we have here, what do we do about it? Three things I encourage you to do. Uh, because your senators and congresspeople are ready to get home for Thanksgiving, they're going to be closer to everyone who's listening. Uh, so when they come home and they have opportunities over the holiday because we've got the CR and stopgap that's going through January or February, uh, you have an opportunity to talk to them about a long-term spending bill uh, that, ex that restores the expanded child tax credit. Uh, so that we can cut child poverty in half and sustain it at a level uh, that is tenable for children and families. Number two, they still have not invested in, even in the CR, they have not invested in the child care subsidy and support for stabilization that the president asked for. So we went off the cliff, impacting millions of children across the country and more than 70,000 child care centers um, on September 30th. You can invite them uh, to make sure they prioritize investing in child care keeping that pipeline open to families 
So moms, big mamas, abuelitas are not having to decide whether they're going to take care of the children or whether they're going to go to work so that they can feed the children. Uh, that's the second one. And then the third one, uh, we can continue uh, to lean in uh, on our representatives and help them uh, to organize to build power around these things between now and next February. I was very pleased. I know you're there in California. Very pleased to talk to our friend and your junior senator, uh, LaFonza Butler, earlier this week uh, to think about, as she is thinking about how she will use run through the tape all this year uh, to restore hope uh, and aspiration to our politic. Uh, she's our immediate past board chair, Children's Defense Fund, and you've got a strong partner there in California. So we invite you to put the wind at the back at champions like her, uh, Barbara Lee, who is the speaker for this interagency council meeting today, who's been lifting up the, uh, the banner for, uh, for young people and people in poverty for years. So we invite you to put wind at their back. Uh, so encourage those who are doing this work in our communities uh, and specifically talk about expanding the child tax credit uh, and restoring support for child care in the long-term uh, fiscal year 2024 budget as your representatives and senators come home. He's on the front line fighting for our babies. Uh, my babies, your babies, all of our babies. He's on the front line, and we are uh, uh, indebted to him uh, for doing uh, this heavy lifting every uh, every day. We appreciate his work and witness. He is the Reverend Dr. Starsky Wilson, President and CEO of the Children's Defense Fund. Doc, good to have you back on the program. All the best to you, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you, good brother. Stay strong. That's our program for today. Back here tomorrow to do it all over again. Tomorrow, got a great, uh, great show lined up for you tomorrow. We expect to talk to Nikki Giovanni tomorrow. We had to reschedule that uh, a week or two ago when she had laryngitis. So Nikki Giovanni here talking about the documentary uh, about her life and her legacy. So Nikki Giovanni tomorrow, and I believe in our third hour tomorrow, Jada Pinkett Smith uh, joins us to discuss her book. So it should be a great show tomorrow, uh, not unlike today's program. We thank all of our guests. We thank you for listening. Until tomorrow, thanks for tuning in to Tavis Smiley. And as always, keep the faith.